Support for this podcast comes from Frito-Lay in the 2023 Snack Bracket Championship. The Frito-Lay Snacket Challenge is underway, and fans are voting on their favorite snacks to crown champion. We're talking about primetime matchups between the best 64 snacks in the land. Will Ruffles Ridges reign supreme? Can Doritos defend their dynasty? Or will Smart Food use their smarts for a surprise upset? Only you can decide. Get in on all the action for a chance to win up to $1,000 or a year's worth of snacks. Let your snacks be heard. Just go to Frito-LaySnackIt.SBNation.com to vote and enter for a chance to win. No purchase necessary. Sweepstakes ends April 3rd, 2023. Void but prohibited. Years worth of snacks awarded in the form of 52 coupons, each good for one bag of chips. See official rules at Frito-LaySnackIt.SBNation.com. And one of the things we talk about is if we don't give effort, if we're not recognized for effort at University of Oklahoma, then I'm a con man and they're a fraud. All right, guys, welcome to the Oklahoma Breakdown Podcast, brought to you guys by SB Nation's Crimson and Cream Machine. I'm your host, Kamiya Morabian, joined by my co-host, Stephen Brown. Uh, we've got a lot to talk about, but it's in bye week, so we'll keep it pretty condensed. And uh, this is roughly the second time I've tried the introduction without messing it up. So, uh, Stephen, how, how's life, man? It's it's Thursday evening, so we're, we're podcasting a little bit later this week, but it's a bye week, so who cares? It's good. I was watching uh, the Thursday night game. Uh, it's actually my day off, so this worked perfectly. Yeah. Bake looks um, good. Bake looks yeah. good. I've only watched the first half, so I might have to go back and watch a little bit. But uh, I'm currently on, do you call it quarantine watch? Like you're not on quarantine, but you might be quarantined. Yeah, I, th- I think uh, one might say that you were on the bubble, so to speak. I'm on the bubble, yeah. For COVID, so we'll see, see how that goes. Are you anxious? Um, this is gonna sound bad. Um, I hope the person has it because mm-hmm. I, I'm pretty like a hundred percent sure I know they're gonna survive. Yeah. Um, but then that means you just don't have to go to work on Friday. Oh, that would be that would be an ideal situation about not going to work. I mean, like we we talked about this before the pod, and uh, talking about like like a lot of things that I keep on reading <laughs> suggests now that the fact like it's not the fact that like COVID is any less deadly by any means, but people definitely like aren't as concerned now as they were, and because and and. It could be because of the strain going on in Oklahoma. It maybe isn't as weak as, maybe isn't as strong as others, um, or just because this thing has been going on since damn late February. There have been several new ways of treating this thing to where basically, if you don't get a, if you just basically don't get blitzed by the virus or have pre-existing health conditions, most notably like diabetes, a lot of people. Uh, stay okay. Like I, I've I've been looking at. I looked at John Hop Johns Hopkins. Uh, their graphs today, and you can tell over time the mortality rate has definitely gone down just because of people being able to take care of the virus much better than cause, because it's a new virus. People are learning. You know what I mean? Uh, I'm not a doctor, but that sounds exactly right. Yeah. <laughs> like I, so I got my. Uh, I got my first COVID test uh, yesterday, and and it was because you know like you know I, we I teach for a living and I get one free one per month, which is actually pretty not bad actually. And we uh, we just we sign up and we go to like a room where this dude's decked out in plastic and has a mask on and a face <laughs> shield on, and, and then he it's the nasal pharyngeal swab. And they stuck it up my nose and touched the top of my skull, but <laughs> you know, honestly, it's uncomfortable. But it's it's really it's not that bad. It's not that bad. And then like my results came back today, and I was I was negative, or as oh, well our president says, positively. I tested very positively negative. <laughs> so let that let that one simmer for a minute. I man. I don't know if I'm just growing tired of the pandemic <laughs> or or if I'm just like, you know what? I'm going to be cautious 
and just but also keep living my life because I like I got to the point I I haven't been to the act I've been working out at home but I haven't been to the actual gym since March and I was like I'm just I'm just gonna wear my mask at the gym just because I know they enforce that policy and do and go to a, I'm gonna go to a football game tomorrow and uh, yeah I just maybe maybe I just don't care anymore or maybe uh, um, this, or maybe no, I'm, in, I'm in that same boat you live life. You try to live life normally but cautiously, kind of yeah. thing. Because uh, like I went example, to Louis to watch the yeah. game, and I was like, "Where's the table in the corner by itself?" Mm. And that's what we got. Yeah, it was, it was good. So, I mean, it is halfway through September, and uh, yeah, everything everything's fine, man. Everything's so fine. Those fire tornadoes, it's everything's fine. <laughs> I forgot about those. Yeah, I. And do you see one of the fires over in the mid? It's not in the Midwest. The mountains slash West Coast started by a damn gender reveal. Uh, I think I saw the video. I wasn't sure if that was real, though, because there's like yeah. no one was celebrating. They're like, great, there's a baby. Oh, we just sparked a massive wildfire. How dumb do you have to be? Uh, well, we're, we're, what, nine months into 2020 and things just keep getting worse, so. Yeah. It's on par. Yeah, yeah. Well, today we have a little bit of recruiting. Not too much. We were talking about this off the pod. Just, it seems like the jury is out on OU as far as it, there's no secret whatsoever at all who OU's remaining targets are. There's like six or seven, and we can all we can pinpoint all of the names, and most of them feel like sooner leans, which is that's another reason why there's not a lot to talk about there's little to no drama on guys flipping everybody's pretty solid that's already committed and caleb williams is making other guys not committed that might have business elsewhere seemingly leaning toward the sooners and then we've got just some stuff about the team um and other things in general i mean just like letting that missouri state win kind of simmer and let put let it on the burner for a second so we can see what it's actually going to be like after but i guess we'll get started Julio Farouk is Caleb Williams' friend, uh, another guy from the DMV area in D.C., Maryland, Virginia, whatever, and uh, set to make his commitment the OU Kansas State weekend. And that seems like it's been forever that we all know what that commitment is going to be, but it's like his mom's <laughs> birthday, I believe. Does that make sense? I believe that's is that, right. Is that right. It was going to be a lot sooner, uh, but I think they decided to go after a date that's more um, like family-oriented, basically. <laughs> so it seems like this Farouk stuff has been a long time coming, and it's going to be the date of OU Kansas State and... Is there anything we should really know about this? It's, it just seems like a ton of the commits or future commits for Oklahoma have already really been decided, <laughs> and that this is just really a waiting game. Does does, does it feel like that, especially for Farouk, that we've been waiting essentially? It feels like months on. We, like it was noted that he could commit in June, July, and August, and it never happened. <clears throat> and then it was like his mom's birthday, and that's why he's committing on that day. Right, and to kind of clear up the timeline, he was uh, supposed to commit uh, maybe on the Caleb Williams announcement or shortly after, Mm -hmm. Uh, but I think they decided to go after a date that meant more to the family, Um, and that would be his mom's birthday, so I think they settled on that. It had nothing to do like OU slipping or anything, it's just something that more uh, worked out for them. How would you feel if it was your birthday and let's say Farouk was your sibling, and they stole all of your thunder on your birthday by committing to a major university. Would you be pissed? Uh, yeah, I'd be kind of pissed. Because you could pick any other day. Yeah. You think his mom's gotta, pissed or she's happy? I think if you're a parent, I think that changes things. Um, but if it's a sibling, you're just like, why? Do you, yeah. why, why do you do this to me? Yeah. But, I mean... Through Caleb Williams, I mean, really good friends, and Caleb Williams putting in a ton of work from his side regarding their recruiting aspect. And, you know, it's incredible that Caleb Williams is one of the best players in the country and is able to get it's like the it's like the LeBron effect when he went to Miami, you know, just recruiting the best players that wants to come work with him, even though that would be tampering, uh, it still went on. 
and people just want to go play with the best players and Caleb Williams gets his other dudes in on it on the group texts and really convincing a lot of people so Farouk is a foregone conclusion we've known he's going to be a Sooner for a long long time but the one that is really interesting is Tristan Lee this man went to LSU not once but he went to LSU twice and it seemed like this thing was over that he was going to be an LSU guy even though you know the history with offensive linemen and OU and then of course you know the the ability or chance for him to start at OU you know after next year or the year after depending upon who leaves with Creed Tyrese Robinson Marquise Hayes are all guys that could possibly leave after this year and so that would make way for guys like Andrew Rame, who's already doing really well and people's given high praise, but also Tristan Lee. Uh, you know, that off- offensive line, Bill Beatembo is no slave to depth-, depth charts. Of course, you know, Anton Harrison is supposed to be starting at left tackle as a true freshman. So I think it says a lot about how Bill Beatembo goes about his business. But tell me about Tristan Lee. What what in the heck is what is going on here? He was he was definitely an LSU guy, and now the next thing you know, Mike Farrell says, "Well, you know, just kidding. He he seems like to be an OU guy now." Uh, I wasn't ready to like uh, I guess pen lead OU, uh, but it's not too surprising, um, especially when he went to LSU and didn't commit. Um, the big thing about Tristan Lee, it's it's a longer recruiting battle, especially with these five star guys. They're gonna draw it out as much as they can. Uh, maybe you know, if it works out, they'll announce it an All-American game, something like that. Um, the one thing that LSU had to do to keep Oklahoma out of it completely was get them to recruit on the spot, or not recruit on the spot, commit on the spot, and that just didn't happen. So that just continues to leave the door open for OU, and it's already been said before that he's going to make a return visit to OU, maybe with some family, um, and obviously I'm sure Caleb Williams makes that trip as well. So OU's just right there in it. Um, I'm not ready to really say he's like, OU lean, but it's looking pretty good for him. And, I mean, if Oklahoma gets Tristan Lee and and Bryce Foster along with Caleb Williams, Kamar Wheaton, and their slew of other talented receivers and other positions, would this be the best class Oklahoma has brought in in some time, wouldn't it? Uh, I think you could compare it. In a lot of ways, that 2019 class um, with Rattler, the three five-star wide receivers, Austin Stogner. Um, but at the same time, this class from top to bottom just is overall more talented. Um, you don't have all the talent weighted at the quarterback position, the receiver position. Or it's one at, side of the ball. Right. It's it's across the board more talented. So um, since 2019, that class was kind of heralded as like, this is the class that's going to bring OU over that hump, over that playoff hump, this looks to be the better class. Yeah, and I mean, good news for Lincoln Riley because I mean he always recruited well on offense, especially after that 2015 season. But they could never get guys on defense, and now it's starting to trend in the direction of getting different body types and dudes on defense to commit to OU. Unless you're a safety from Oklahoma, then you're going to go to some other program, which inevitably is a uh, doom. But it seems to be. The guys that Oklahoma's trending for, I mean, you, you said earlier, there's like six, seven, eight spots left, and let's count in who, what, Savion Bird, maybe Tristan Lee, Kamar Wheaton, uh, Jaleel Farouk, who who else am I missing right now? On the uh, Bryce Foster at five. Bryce Foster, uh, maybe someone like a Jordan Gilbert at safety. Uh, and then you just sprinkle in, maybe you can get Emeka Ibuka on a visit, and that really mm-hmm. puts you over the hump for him. Um, so you can get him to commit. So what about a, David Abiara? That's an interesting thing right there. Um, we waited. He, him, we waited for him to flip for like a it's month. Twice now. Twice yeah. now he's been rumored to just he's going to flip. He's going to flip, and then nothing happens. And I think from a Notre Dame uh, standpoint, they're kind of frustrated as well because <laughs> they really don't know what his plans are. They're like, so are you staying? Are you going? So he may not end up know. at either school. Jeez. <laughs> But the, the, the thing is, it's pretty well-known who Oklahoma's targets are, and most of them we would suggest are sooner leans. So if, you, if you're just wondering, you know, man, I haven't heard a lot of OU recruiting stuff in a while. Well, that's why, because there's not a lot of mystery behind this stuff. It's just a matter of, hey, how is so-and-so doing with the Sooners? Have the other ones lost them talked? 
Uh, you know, when's the last time they talked to Caleb Williams, essentially, and other things? It's just, it's so in hand. And whereas, you know, Bob Stoops' approach to recruiting was keep tabs on kids in the fall and then in the spring, really make an effort to go sign some kids, which would end you, which would give you the 17th best class in the country. Whereas Lincoln's getting all this stuff out of the way early, and that's the way he's always been. So it's just it's really nice to not. It's really nice to know who your targets are. And then if that doesn't work, oh, well, you still have football left in the fall and the spring to go recruit other guys that are committed elsewhere, like the linebacker from Boston College that Oklahoma's in on. So just really, really intriguing as far as that recruiting side of the ball. It's pretty it's pretty simple who they're after, and uh, there's no mystery as far as uh, who they want to go get and be a part of this Link Up 21 class. I mean, it's shaping up to be a, what, what, a top-five class, right? It's up there. Um, I think top five, if they land the targets they should, um, you add in like a Tristan Lee, maybe a Scooby Williams, um, that easily pushes them up into that uh, Ohio State, Clemson, Alabama area. Mm -hmm. And their blue chip status ratio would be off the charts after this year. Uh, They would be definitely in in the 60 percentile, trending towards 70, where, you know, Clemson had an anomaly season when they won that first title. They actually were behind the ball on their blue chip ratio status and they were only like 50 something percent when they won their first title and OU's been at 50 percent since 2015 because exceptional quarterback play can take you over the deficiencies of your defense so Oklahoma definitely on the right track with the right coach Uh, Texas has the right players maybe not so much the right coach we'll figure that out in the future but we have a lot more stuff for you guys talking about media availability with defensive players and some other stuff league news team news uh but we'll send you guys to a break for our sponsors so we'll be right back in a sec today's episode is brought to you by cars.com with over 2 million vehicles and 50,000 more added every day cars.com will match you with the perfect car for you your budget your life your style And if you're ready to say goodbye to your current car, Cars.com will get you an instant offer to cash it in. Just start by entering your license plate and get matched with a local dealer who will write you the check. So whether you're looking to buy or sell, just go to Cars.com. It's magical. All right, Stephen. So I've rewatched the OU Missouri State game. And by that, I mean I've watched the condensed version because I'm not watching three hours of that, especially not going to watch the really second half. <laughs> Definitely not watching the fourth fourth quarter. Two players total, just in general. Stock up, stock down. Who do you have? Two stock up, two stock down, or just one nope, or the other? just one, one, any, one of each. For that, uh, stock up. I'll go Marvin Mims. I think I said it on the post-game podcast, but I thought he looked great. Um, he looks like a guy that's not a true freshman. Um, mm-hmm. He looks like a guy that's been there as a sophomore, junior season. Um, so that's really encouraging for for an OU receiving core that kind of didn't really have a lot of answers, uh, kind of like that mid-July area. So um, I'm going to go stock up for him. Stock down, this might not surprise you at all. I didn't bring up the name, but I'm going to go Trey Norwood. I Why? saw a couple plays from him, and he just didn't look the part. And we've kind of heard that he's you know he's a lot bigger – um, he's starting to come on. He's starting to fill out that role. Um, I just didn't see it, especially against a Missouri State game. All right. My thing about Trey Norwood is <clears throat> he has missed effectively one month of practices, 28 practices, because he's been in contact tracing. And he hasn't even had COVID. He's just been, like, around dudes that are that are that that have either had COVID or have been – there are suspicions of them having COVID. So – he, he hasn't had COVID, but he's missed 28 practices because of that. So, to me, you know, just throwing him out there, seeing what happens, I don't feel too bad. I mean, he didn't make any glaring mistakes, but he did, definitely didn't play a great game. Um, so, for stock up, I'm going to go Mikey Henderson. I mean, it's unbelievable to me that that guy is like 6'4", 240 something. He has more shake, and he looks way more athletic than 6'4", 240. He has some shake. He's got strength. He has hands. He's going to be a monster. Maybe not this year, but in the coming years, he is going to be a lot better than Trey Millard or Dim- uh, Dimitri Flowers ever were in this offense, especially as an H-back, because 
of how athletic he is, and because Dimitri Flowers, you know, he had a he has a body type. So did Trey Miller. They had a, they had body types that they didn't necessarily allow them to be athletic to make those you know lateral moves. Instead, those dudes they weren't going to juke out of your shoes. They're just going to run straight through you. Whereas Henderson seems like he can do both, and so he's going to be a just a bear for defenses to account for. Especially if you know you have Stogner back there as well, and you have the three five star guys. He's somebody that in the future is going to be looking really, really good, especially with Marvin Mims, like you just said. Stocked down. You said Norwood. I'm going to go with Trey Brown because Trey <laughs> Brown has not missed much practice. He's supposed to be one of your captains. He's supposed to be the, one of the leaders of the team. And he just looked he, he looked like he was playing. Like, Iowa State out there. It, it, like it, it, Iowa State had a shit first game, but, like, it, he just got – he got burned far too many times, which was maybe like once or twice, against a very, very bad Missouri State team. And it's not like he had been missing practices. It's not like he'd been missing reps. I would understand, like you said about Trey, uh, Trey Norwood, I could get it if he had missed several practices, but he was the best OU had and they needed to throw him out there. But the fact that he is one of the best that OU has to offer and he was playing and he didn't miss any practices and he still got beat by Missouri State, it doesn't bode well, and maybe maybe it was overconfidence on his part. Uh, maybe it was just a you know a mental error on his part too. But goodness, uh, you hate to see that the first first game out of the gates. So we'll see what happens in uh, I guess in a week and a half when they play Kansas State. But I really don't like that. Um, Kennedy Brooks stuff. So it sounds like because when the first, when the news first broke, we assumed NFL, but it sounds like he plans to come back to OU next year, and that does not seem like a smart decision on his behalf like for uh, i mean you've got marcus major who seems to have not broken out of his shell yet even though it's just one game and the offensive line was shuffled around seth mcgowan looks to be a, a dude and you can tell he still has like somewhat of his high school body does that sound right like it's like he's someone he hasn't has filled out his frame much definitely like one season of benny wiley in the weight room, and he's going to look a lot more stout and a lot more of a college football player. Like him and Mims, they look like they lifted weights over the summer, but they didn't look like they definitely got a off-season program to really juice them up before the season. So he still has his like his high school body, but still is you know he's he's a runner that reminds you of Rodney Anderson, but also a dude that does not care about his own body and just will straight up run through you. Reminds me kind of like Alan Patrick, just running recklessly, uh, but on purpose. So I, I really like that. But I think Kennedy Brooks, if him coming back, I think, I mean, whatever, but that doesn't make a lot of sense to me. No, and it's, he's a guy that he has NFL numbers. He has two back-to-back 1,000-yard seasons, and uh, I'm not sure what else he can accomplish coming back to OU as far as his draft stock. Like maybe explosiveness, but that doesn't make any sense. Yeah, and then you risk, I mean, you risk taking some more tread off those tires. Yeah. And he's a guy that's, you know, for the most part, he's avoided a lot of contact. In the NFL, the running backs, unless you're like a Joe Mixon or unless you are an, an Alvin Kamara or somebody that's just like a pure, pure talent, like a Saquon Barkley, in which Kennedy Brooks is not, you're not going to get taken in the first few rounds. And they want you, the NFL wants you with the most tread on your tires. So... If you were to take a year off effectively, I guess to get rest and to rehab, but also just you know opt out because there's a pandemic happening, and then come back and play another year, well, heck, by that time he's like what, 23, 24 years old, and you've had you know tread off your tires like you suggested, and how many teams are going to want that guy? And so I, I think the closer we get to January the more we'll find out about that situation to where I think he'll eventually, and, I, and this is me not knowing anything about him, I think he will eventually declare for the draft knowing what Oklahoma has coming back yeah. and knowing, like, you know, Ramondre Stevenson may come back after this coming year and, uh, t- you know, T.J. Pledger and, and they're the young guys. And so I think the running back room would almost be too full for him to come back. But I, I guess I digress on that, but... A guy that I've been really excited about, especially after seeing the new weights and seeing how he performed last year, and definitely I performed against a really bad Missouri State team, is Brian Asamoah. First of all, 
he has definitely added a lot of good weight. A lot of the guys on defense look much bigger and faster. And he just he was diagnosing plays very quickly and just running them down in the flats because Missouri State was trying to go side to side. They couldn't do anything, you know, ver- vertically, so they were trying to go it was a horizontal. Just wasn't fooling anybody. And he told the media today that the goal for the defense, despite it being a 10-game season and then, you know, maybe there's a college football playoff, so you have 12 games or 11 games, depending on what bowl you get, the goal for that Alex Grinch defense is 26 takeaways. And Delarian Turner-Yale had one. And Oklahoma, <laughs> God, they, they had, like they had three, three or other, four opportunities. Three other opportunities. You had Washington, who should have caught it, but the uh, – the wide receiver just made a really good play on it to break up that pass. But the other one is, man, the ball was tripped, tipped right in the Trey Brown's bread basket right there in his belly with his hands on it. And we discussed this before the pod that it, it seems like like when you like, let, let's say like you have a drink that's about to fall over on the counter and like the, the bottles open or like, it's like a to go cup and instead, instead of saving it properly you maybe like overcorrect <laughs> what you're trying to what's going wrong and make it air. much worse and you accidentally act like smack it over or something like that it's like trey brown tried to grab it and he tried to aggressively overcompensate to catch the ball but ended up accidentally just swatting it down like throwing it off of his body and the camera pans immediately over to alex grinch and he's like mother <laughs> like you and then so the, now that this comes out today you're like oh, okay now he was already angry about the Trey Brown stuff but now that makes a lot more sense why he was that much more pissed as far as them com- uh, committing to 26 takeaways this season and well you have nine games to go in the regular season and 25 takeaways do you think they can actually do that no I would go I would say 16 17 takeaways something like that that's more realistic how many did they have last year not much not many uh <laughs> they're the two bookie ones uh it felt like they had them in the teens uh maybe maybe even just barely i don't know this is a great podcast i'm looking it up <laughs> because it didn't seem like it was a lot and it, oh goodness well, that yeah, that says a lot. So this is from November fifth of last year when I could touch my face, and it said the Sooners rank 124th in turnovers forced. So by November fifth, Oklahoma had only forced six turnovers. Yeah. Yikes. But that being said, I mean, this defense just feels totally different. Um, it it. It feels like a team that is maybe not as talented because of you don't have a partner Motley who is clearly better than Trey Brown, apparently. You don't have a Kenneth Murray first-round draft pick in the middle. You don't have a Neville Gallimore. But you have a lot of other guys that have grown in the system one more year that know the expectations that have now grown bigger and faster. And so maybe these certain parts are not there, but the whole seems like... A defense that's formidable. Do you think this is a defense that OU can lean on like they did in several spots last year, especially in the second half of the season, you know, sans the LSU game? Um, In some games, yeah, but you're going to need that offense, um, especially when you don't have a Kenneth Murray. Um, you said Parnell Mountley already. Those kind of guys that were, were difference makers for this defense. Neville Gallimore is another one. Um, but they're going to have some have to have some guys step up. And especially Trey Brown being one of them, they're going to have to be more advantageous uh, when they when they see these opportunities for turnovers. So tell me about this year's defense in comparison to last year's defense. What is what is structurally different to you? I think the size, uh, not so much in the secondary, but overall up front, that front seven, um, a lot bigger, a lot stronger. Um, you see guys like Brian Osamoa really taking a step forward as far as um, not really trying to read too much, just reacting to what they see. Um, they're more well coached. So, do you think um, that Perry and Winfrey can be better than Neville Gallimore? 
Uh, he kind of looked the way. Despite that his part, yeah. nine bands on his legs. <laughs> that looked ridiculous. I'm about, sorry. <laughs> the thing about Gallimore, um, he was kind of an on-off player. Yeah, he was. Um, he flashed at times. He looked like a like a very elite um, defensive <laughs> lineman at times. Well, the, but then, the lights you know, two plays Gallimore. later, yeah. he's just kind of standing there. So if Perry on Winf- Winfrey can find that consistency in his game, then absolutely he can be better than uh, uh, Gallimore. So would you would say that the floor... Maybe not the ceiling has raised for the defense, but we, you would say that the floor has been raised for the Sooners' defense. Is that accurate? The floor, yeah. I mean, they're overall on paper more talented. Yeah. Um, the experience, that's something they're just going to have to have. Um, they're going to have to go through these games, learn game to game, and then by the end of the season, we're going to look at this defense and say, wow, this might be a more talented bunch. Um, going to 2021, they could really really make a run at the playoff. Yeah. I was I was making room on my Mac for the update and the new iOS is really cool by the way. Have you have you updated your phone? No, not yet. I'm waiting to see if it's gonna destroy my phone. Man, it's a it's kinda of funsies. There's some new things within the messaging apps and all that stuff. But um look looking at the defense, I mean I was getting rid of some files, some bigger files, that way I could, you know, update and everything. And I, I came across a video of Big Twelve Media Days last year and I asked I asked Kenneth Murray about Brian Odom and what he thought about Brian Odom and the first thing he said was phenomenal and then they kept on saying how he was the best coach he's ever had and so then I think about dudes like Deshaun White and I think about guys like you know Brian Mead that's looked actually like a real football player against a team that's probably his caliber him as a Missouri State and they look at guys like Brian Asamoah, Shane Witter etc and I can't help but think that they're getting a lot better coaching than dudes like Corey Nelson did or or Buzzy Bolton did because they have Tim K- didn't have Tim Kish, and so I feel a lot more confident in those linebackers to do their jobs. And then David Aguayo is going to come on strong too, and he's just a massive force in the middle of the defense. So I feel like the defense will look at it and say, yeah, the the floor was definitely higher, but the dudes just they just know what to do now. Like remember last year. When we were just so excited that the team would look over the sideline and then they would check, they would all at once check their wristband for before the call, and then they would get back into their set, and we're like, oh my gosh, all eleven players on defense know their assignments and they know what to do, and so now they're just getting into their assignments faster and they're getting to the ball a lot faster, and so that's just that's just a pleasant sight knowing that in year two in the system. They're making improvements, doing things faster, making checks faster, which will allow them to play faster and easier, especially as that speed D goes. So I think this is a defense OU will be able to lean on, especially in the second half of the season when, A, the teams are playing are not that great, and, B, that's when all the consistency gets developed between continuity and, you know, all the other things that go with that as far as playing within a defense that has 11 dudes in the Big 12 where the balls get thrown like crazy, but also teams like Kansas lose to Coastal Carolina and just get completely wrecked. <laughs> that's that's a shame. That The Big 12 took an ass beating this past weekend, but none of them were more embarrassing than the Kansas game because Kansas State, they always throw out stinkers early in the year, and Arkansas State's a pretty decent team. That receiver was really good Yeah, for Arkansas State. And Iowa State, they always disappoint early in the season, and then they win eight games at the end of the season. People say, oh, look, Iowa State's going to win ten games next year, and then they always – it's just rinse and repeat. But, man, Coastal Carolina, Kansas, and they just got just – they got dunked on several times. That's bad. Isn't Coastal Carolina where that video surface of that redneck coach that was like, we don't need no cats on this team. <laughs> Need more dogs. <laughs> I'm not sure. Think... That's where uh, Josh Norman's from. Really? Yeah. Well, not OU just... Josh Norman, but like NFL. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, he came from Coastal Carolina. He's like, I don't. He that coach is so funny. He's like, the cat's caught a screen door. What do I do? <laughs> Get the cat out? He's like, I don't need no cats on my team. They look good. They got my armbands. Meow. He's like, well. I don't want those. I want some dogs. But you know, the the Coastal Carolina uniforms did look pretty good. They did. They do look cool. They kind of deserve to win that game just for those uniforms. Just really disappointing for Kansas. I mean, I had, I had, 
you know this, I had high hopes for them, especially after the last season. I was like, man, if they can win those first few games, especially Coastal Carolina, which should be an easy win, they could actually win five to six games. And it all went to hell really quick. I, yeah, <laughs> wow. So they stay in the dumpster, despite recruiting well over the last year and a half with less smiles. Yeah, less, yeah. So odd, so odd. But, all right. So the new antigen testing that the Big 12 is using and then that OU is going to be using, which is our daily tests, you, you've explained it to me in like sort of an offhand way, and I want you to explain to me how this is going to keep contact tracing to a minimum and make the team more available going forward like I'm five years old. So explain to me and our listeners how this is going to make the team better and more teammates available on Saturdays going forward. So I don't claim to be an expert on this, but this is kind of how I understand it. Um, the new, new new tests that they're going to come in, they're more rapid. Um, as far as the tracing goes, let's say a player tests positive on Monday and he's been around Okay, for Trey Norwood's example right there. So now Trey Norwood has to be uh, in quarantine for five to ten days or whatever. You can use one of these tests, and that kind of gives you an idea. It's like, okay, does he have COVID? Does he not have COVID? Um, let's give him a test at the end of the day. Does he look good? Okay, let's test him in the morning. Good. Um, so then the faster you can get these results back, the faster you can get these guys back into practice. They don't have to sit out as much. Mm-hmm. Uh, they're not just, like, sitting in their room playing Xbox, kind of waiting to to see whether they have or do not have COVID. So hopefully these new tests will speed up the process from, I think it was like 10 days to maybe three days, something like that. Yeah, that would be ideal. And Lincoln Riley mentioned this in his presser today. It wasn't a presser. It was kind of like off the cuff, but said that a lot of the stuff is a lot of these guys, not many have COVID, but a lot of them are in the contact tracing. And then you can't, you cannot stop a guy from being somebody else's roommate. So, you know, if somebody's in contact tracing or somebody is maybe maybe positive for COVID, I mean, if you're a roommate or even next door, you're kind of screwed as far as that goes. So just making this test available to where, like, teams, especially in the big, in the SEC, that they weren't able, available to play, but guys were getting false positive so they these saliva tests and these rapid antigen tests you can give them a couple more and they're cheap and rel- relatively 90 percent effective and you get two more that says you're negative well heck then you're you're fine you're good to go and so you can just keep on turning around really really quickly and just make sure you know all stuff is being taken care of so it, it, it that's good news going forward I, and i think that because of that uh, we get to dunk on the Big Ten and others, but we can do that in a minute. <laughs> so, after the display of Oklahoma's defensive line against Missouri State, are you less concerned about Oklahoma's lack of depth on the defensive line, or are you just putting no stock whatsoever into that performance, considering uh, Spencer Rattler could probably take on one of their offensive linemen one-on-one? Uh, I think there's definitely a concern there. Um, just because you don't want Isaiah Thomas being your nose guard. Right. Right. Um, he looked great, um, especially in front of – it's it's good to see him finally get a start in Oklahoma. He's a Tulsa kid. Um, everybody's rooting for him, so um, that was really good to see. But when you go up against, let's say, Kansas State, where maybe Kansas State's not a great team, but their offensive guard's like 200 pounds heavier. They're D1 – Right, they're, they're D1 talent at least, and the D1 bodies, and it's just not going to stack up like that. Yeah. So, and Missouri State um, had nobody to like, even if they put in two guys to chip in and in, in the backfield, they were not going to get, a, <laughs> they were not going to field a clean pocket at all. Yeah, I mean, they could have probably gone down to like what Norman High and just borrowed a couple guys for the game, and nobody would know the difference because that's how bad their offensive line was. Well, hell, their offensive line was starting a freshman from. That Norman High team, so, like from a year ago. So yeah, they, they were just, they were clearly a helmet shorter and roughly fifty pounds lighter than everybody else on Oklahoma's team. That, that was a team Oklahoma should just beat their ass the entire time, and they did. Except when they just when Rattler was done, they just stopped really actively trying to go through things, and uh, just the game slowed down to a roll after Spencer Rattler went out. 
I don't know if that's a Lincoln Riley thing. I don't know if that's a Tana Mordecai thing. Probably in between. But the game so did it not just like completely come to a screeching halt when Rattler went out? Yeah, I mean it's like the pace slowed down. Yeah. And they start to filter um, in other bodies, and apparently they only had seven scholarship offensive linemen available. That was so one thing that kind of stood out. That makes that it would make a lot of sense, but still you would think they would still be able to muster over hundred yards rushing and not off the legs of Chandler Morris. Chandler Morris looked good. He's quick, man. I thought he looked looked way better than a true freshman coming in to play a half ass game. I mean, it's his legs, it's not even that sneaky athleticism that a lot of people like to say about white quarterbacks. It's not even the sneaky athleticism. He's just he's just quick. He's just fast. Yeah. So that was that he's was not Kyler fast, but Yeah, right. But he's because there's Kyler fast, there's Bakes escapability and scrambling ability. I thought he more looked more like that. It, like Baker. I thought he looked a little more like Baker, but I think he's definitely faster than Bake. But yeah. he maybe doesn't have as much wiggle as Baker. But yeah, it looked 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 good. But yeah, I think the defensive line, I mean, it's you expected them to just completely run rough shot on Missouri State's offensive line, and they did. And so they took care of business there. I'm more curious because that next game up, Kansas State, that's the game that Oklahoma there are two games that always test Oklahoma's physicality on both lines in the trenches, Texas and Kansas State. And Oklahoma's going to find out real quick if they're real or not for real uh, next weekend, and it's going to be very obvious. So they sh- I'm intrigued. I don't know if Kansas State can keep up with Oklahoma's offense because they don't have a quarter. Oklahoma now is a quarterback that can rip it everywhere. I mean, hell, Theo Weiss was, like, in shock on the sideline yeah. when he caught a frozen a back shoulder frozen rope from one hash to the sideline and he had room to run for a touchdown and it seemed like he was so much in shock that holy crap this man just did this but not just did this an accurate pass to the numbers and like he they always turned up field but just like fell out of bounds if he had known that ball was going to get there because he said he had he was Shocked. Hit a couple yards. Yeah, he he said he was in himself like he could not believe that pass made it. That that pass was that way that was on that point, and maybe it's because he experienced a different quarterback in his life. I don't I don't know. Maybe that's that's a possibility because they'd never seen a quarterback <laughs> in OU do that. You know, and well, while he was at OU, but it's just like holy crap. So it is effectively Spencer Rattler season where he makes the easy throws. He makes the throws that are there. Dude's what running wide open, fantastic. He's gonna hit them because he goes through those progressions or is can see guys running wide open and it looks so effortless. And I made mention of man, it's just really nice to see an OU quarterback for the first time because Kyler did it sometimes, and that's where Grant Calcaterra got several concussions. <laughs> uh, Lee Morris was able to not get those concussions, but Kyler threw over the seams sometimes. And they were, it was effective. It was effective. But Baker used the seams a lot. And seeing Spencer Rattler be able to rip these balls up the seams but also up the sidelines with accuracy is incredible. And you you didn't see that with Hurts last year. So I mentioned, like, man, imagine. And we've had, we've had this conversation a million times. If Spencer Rattler had come to Oklahoma in January and not in the summer, they don't take Jalen Hurts' transfer. Nope. Because he is that talented. So I mentioned, I said, hey, imagine seeing Spencer Rattler do stuff like this in practice. Because he was. He was doing stuff like this in practice in the late fall, late 2019, where people were saying, holy crap, like, it's pretty obvious who the better quarterback is. But imagine he's doing this in practice, but you're still going to start Jalen Hurts. Yeah. And and, and I got angry Bama fans on my mentions, you know. That was fun. How'd you piss him off? I, I didn't even tweet at anybody. I just said that, and then some random, like, you know, those weird Alabama Jalen fans. Don't talk about Jalen like that. Yeah, it's so odd. They're never men. It's always women. And this person didn't follow me, and they, they said something along the lines of, they said something along the lines of, yep, there are a few Sooner fans that, that would – value Heisman trophies over national titles 
and I think Kamiar is one of them. <laughs> and I was like, what the fuck are you talking about? Like, when I've never said any, and I'm not even talking. So, like, clearly this woman searched Jalen Hurts' name, saw me say, hey, Spencer Rattler's a much better quarterback, in which, yes, that's true. That's an accurate statement. And just got really, really upset spaghetti about it. And it's just everybody else in the timeline is like, well, yeah, what really, what are you talking about? Just, just incredible. And just incredible. And I caught some heat on the timeline today. It was kind of a hot take. But I don't think that's the hot a take about Patrick Mahomes. And I said, because somebody said on the timeline, oh, hot take alert. Kyler Murray was the better quarterback at OU while Baker was there. I was like, okay, that's not really a hot take. That's just being rational. But Patrick Mahomes, I've always, and you know this, I've always held that Patrick Mahomes while at Texas Tech, Patrick yeah. Mahomes was the best quarterback in the Big 12. Whoever, regardless of whoever was on OU's roster, I mean, is that is that a hot take or is that fair? Like, and th- this is totally dismissing. Um, this is dismissing Mahomes' NFL career, just him as a college player, because he was elite. He was, and I think some of that had to do with that. You know, Baker was thrown to a much better receiving right. core, um, and it was you know. He's thrown to CeeDee Lamb, Sterling Shepard, D.D. Yeah. Westbrook. Um, like if you substitute Mark Andrews, if you substitute Baker Mayfield with Patrick Mahomes in 15, 16, and 17, they win a title. In 17? In one of those years. Uh, maybe 17. I'm that not, defense is pretty bad, though. I'm not saying he moves the needle that much, but I'm saying your chances to win a title are, are much better. Maybe I'm offline a little bit here, but I feel justified in saying that Pat Fields, uh, Pat Fields, Pat Mahomes <clears throat> is a better is a better quarterback than Baker and has been since college. I mean, I, I, man, I, there's so many reasons. That's I was like, hey Pat, you uh, I heard the last Texas Tech <laughs> transfer worked worked really well for OU. You wanna you wanna give it a go? <laughs> um, but um, yeah, I I don't have a problem with you saying um. Mahomes was better, but I don't think they won a title because I don't think Baker was the issue. Um, the defense is obviously the issue there, and I don't think you know Pat Mahomes is great, mm. but he can't play defense. That's fair. He, he can't stop Sony Michelle. That's fair. And I mean, and as we suggested, you know, Oklahoma being 50, in the fiftieth percentile for the blue chip ratio, uh, them and Clemson were not supposed to be at the top that early. But exceptional quarterback play can boost you and do you several wonders, in which that has been the case for Oklahoma for the past since 2015. Uh, Sons 2019, where the defense is what the, kept them in a lot of games. And so, Spencer Rattler, if he does well against that Kansas State defense, which the game is in Norman, if he does well against that Kansas State defense in a week and a half, does the narrative of Oh, Lincoln Riley can't recruit his own quarterbacks. Does that go away, or is that saved for the Texas game in the Cotton Bowl? Uh, I think it will be saved for the Texas game just because of optics. Um, I don't know how many national people are going to be watching OU versus Kansas State. Um, I think people locally, um, especially people that watch OU, cover OU, they'll be like, yeah, you know, he's really figured this one out. Um, even when you look at Jalen. Jalen was a he did OU well. Um, yeah, he did. You know, especially the first his, half, right? But in another aspect, he let Spencer Rattler. He gave him time to grow, mm-hmm. um, kind of become that leader, um, that voice. Kind of, kind of, you know, showed him the ropes. So um, I don't think he's a great transfer. I don't think uh, OU really moved the needle with him. Um, so I don't really count him against that. If you're looking at like Baker, Kyler. And then you're comparing that to Spencer, then yeah, I think I think you can throw away that narrative. Spencer Rattler likes to talk himself some shit, man. He likes to talk. Yeah, he's like Baker in that regard. I I dig that because Baker was a big shit talker. Like, don't you don't you want that in your quarterback to either a have a confidence about you that you're about to go whoop some ass, or just a guy that's a loudmouth that can back <laughs> it up though? Because like. Jalen Hurts was not a trash talker. He was actually kind of silent. And kind of, he was a more of like a lead by example guy. Right. Didn't say much unless like 
people looked at him in the room for something to say and I mean there are rumblings of that by the end of the season teams like the like the teammates are kind of like rolling their eyes like okay whatever bros just like don't make the read on the read option whereas Kyler and Baker those are dudes that made you want to run through a wall for them and and they they did it in various ways I mean Baker is obviously very passionate and Kyler is incredibly passionate but in his in his own way where he was a silent leader but the players knew what he had and wanted to be just as good as him whereas Jalen Hurts I mean I mean, he wasn't as talented as those two, and he didn't have the moxie as the other two. But it's good to see Spencer Rattler. You know, the first touchdown pass, he's running down the field to celebrate like Baker Mayfield. It's like the old times. Like, holy crap. This, yeah. is, this is a flashback, and it feels weird, but I'm, I'm, I dig it, you know? So good to have a legitimate quarterback. And honestly, Tanner, we talked about this in the post game. Mordecai was not a slouch. Did he have, Did he make a really dumb play in the end zone? Yeah, man, you can't do but he's that. He's not going to make that play every time. You, but that's against Missouri State. Teams like Iowa State and Texas are going to make that play every time, though. Well, the thing is, like, I'm I'm saying, like, he's oh, not he's going not to throw like, the ball there. Yeah, every time. you know, against Missouri State, maybe you have the confidence. Yeah, like, okay. Yeah, okay. I mean, that makes sense. But honestly, besides that play. He, okay, you know, he, you know, a formidable backup, and the more they get reps, the the less I feel concerned about it. So I'm not too, I'm not that worried moving forward, especially with the offense. I am not worried. The defense, the secondary, and the linebackers, even including the rush edges, not that worried. They ran two four fives. That was that was fun. That was really fun actually. Yeah. Getting as much speed on the field. Yeah, there's just that offensive line depth, and that's that's just the thing that we've been on since the beginning of this. But let's talk about who has been off since the beginning of this, but now it's been flip-flopping. The Big Ten (laughs) and every other conference that said they're going to dip out, besides the Pac-12, of course, of course, besides the Pac-12, they're like, "Uh, guys, can we play now? Like, we're going to sit out, but now now we really want to play, especially after these new tests that are coming out. But now... Their, their, their rules are different. They, if you get COVID or have or, or in tracing, you have to sit out three weeks of practice instead of the two. And they're not, they don't have any bye weeks, just nine straight weeks. That's just not going to work out. There's no way that works out at all. And so how, how, how do they justify it's for the health of the players? If you have no bye weeks whatsoever... And like I, the three week, the three week thing. Okay, fine, whatever. That's you saying they need an extra week just to make sure everything's fine. But if you have no bye weeks, how can you say it's for the health of the players when those are crucial for guys to get better and to get healed up and to get sprains under control? It's just, it's is it acceptable to fully just shit on all of them? Like the the Big Ten, the Mountain West. Who else said they were gonna play? Uh, Definitely those two. Those two. Pac-12 hasn't really said anything. Pac-12's not going to say anything. They're, they're just over there burning. <laughs> and then we're going to get the FCS, their football playoff in the spring, and that's going. I think that's going to be, be fun. Cool. And so it's going to open a lot of people's eyes, even though they're going to be seeing, you know, FCS Division two II and three. Like you're still going to see football, but you're going to see what the actual playoff system looks like for college football. And I think people are going to see that and say. Why are we doing that in major college football? And I think that's the next step. I think I really do. I, I think the next step is beyond four. I think it'll be eight, and then and then I think people will be cool with eight. But maybe who knows? I mean, people are never really that satisfied. But no, everyone's having a problem. But yeah, the Big Ten—they look like dumbasses. Yeah, just like just. And like, how, how does that? We when we talked about this in the last pod. How are we, like, what, in two weeks are we going to say, well, all right, y'all haven't done shit, but uh, top five ranking. How, how do y'all think about that, uh, Ryan Day at Ohio State? Like, that's that seems disingenuous to the sport. That seems unfair. They seem like they should just be excluded from all of the polls and just play their own games because you cannot do this a month late. You cannot be on the scene a month late. Well, that and, like, we talked about it, I think it was like two or three weeks ago. If they opt in, and their season's lagging behind by three weeks, mm-hmm. like how do you, how do you justify 
judging an Ohio State team that just you know finished their yeah with recency bias their, yeah the recency bias they just finished a conference championship and Oklahoma or someone is just sitting at home for three weeks yeah and then suddenly Ohio State's in so it's just I don't see just exclude this working them. out at yeah. all especially with a committee who's just been all over the place in general but exclude them from the AP poll exclude them from the coaches poll just yeah just have their conference championship and that's that call it good. That's what, that's what needs to be done, just to make everything fair. It, it's not, it is not the fault of the ACC, the Big Twelve, the SEC, and even Godforsaken the AAC. It is not their fault in the in the Sun Belt, who just kicked the Big Twelve's ass this past weekend. Not their fault that you guys decided to jump on the bandwagon later, with little to no evidence as far as why you should not be playing. And so I'm, I'm not a guy that's like, oh, well, young guys, you know, they may not die. But I'm saying that the more information that's coming out and the more in the more the better treatment that's been available, it has definitely shown the direction that, hey, cultural is happening and not just happening, but with fans and which is something that we were dreaming of last month. Right. Like you were hearing consistently, no fans, no fans, no fans. And now it's the point of like. Yeah, twenty five percent capacity. We might up this bitch to thirty five percent capacity. <laughs> like, <laughs> it's just it's crazy how things have gone by, how they've transpired, and how things have changed. But in, in a positive way, I think people literally are now, especially in Oklahoma, wherever you're listening to this podcast at. You know, like like I said, at the beginning beginning of this podcast, people are effectively now just living with the virus and accepting that it's existing and just trying to be cautious. Some less than others, right? Um, but I think people are just like, yeah, I mean, like, we need to be cautious, but, uh, yeah, let's just let's just try to live life because the NCAA says this is a two-year thing. The CDC says, yeah, everything should be back to normal by basically the fall of 2021, which is music to my freaking ears. Uh, so I just, man, everybody that has been playing football gets a pass just to dunk on and shit all over the Big Ten, right? Yeah, I mean, the Big Ten, you can just equate the Big Ten right now to basically the early 2010s of the Big 12 as far as just, like, stumbling it over themselves. Um, not necessarily with a virus, but, you know, the Big uh, Big 12 had that issue with the realignment. Mm. Uh, Nebraska leaves, Texas A&M leaves, Missouri, Colorado, all that. And then they spend, what, like $50,000 um, going through some survey God. to see if they should expand back to 12 teams or 14 teams. That made teams. me Look. hate the Big 12 so much. So you, you do all this, this time to keep these teams in. They go, and then you try to bring teams in. And you don't do anything anyways. Like, oh, well, yeah. just, you know. We just wasted our experts hundreds of thousands of dollars. the best. Yeah. For, yeah on a 500000 On a firm to find schools that would maybe work. And we just decided, you know what? We're uh, we're fine. Yeah. The conference looks so stupid, but now, you know, a few, a few years later, Big 12 looks great. And, Big 10 looks like idiots. And then the Big 12 subsequently loses to the fun belt. Yeah, well. Dang it, guys. At least they're playing. Be yeah, the, they have the opportunity to yeah, lose. The Big 10 says, "Oh, oh look <laughs> at the Big 12, what a bunch of losers." While they're sitting at home on their couches or actually having to have practice cuz they're not playing any games. And speaking of games this week, I saw people talking crap about this weekend's slate of games. I'm genuinely way more excited for this weekend's slate of games than I ever was about last week. You've got Tulsa at Oklahoma State. I'm curious to see what that's going to look like, especially with Oklahoma State losing two offensive linemen that were that had substantial snaps. So, you know, especially with Chuba Hubbard, Tylen Wallace, Spencer Sanders, the 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 the, 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 the n- n- number two Spencer in the Big 12, and then I think that Syracuse at Pitt should be fun. I think Houston and like that last second agree uh, that last second agreement being, between Houston and Baylor. That happened last week right after the games. This is incredible. That That's a game that's happening this weekend. N- Navy at Tulane. I just like Tulane. It's a good school. It's, again, a good place. Uh, US, UCF and Georgia Tech, you got. And then, of course, two more games. I just love SMU's color schemes, and I'm really curious about North Texas. And then, last but not least, the game of the night, Derek King and Miami Hurricanes taking on the Louisville Cardinals. I think that's a good, good that's a good slate of games. I feel like, especially in comparison to the bullcrap we watched last week. Right. Yeah, this will actually be like a, a real, real college slate of games. I think, How, as opposed to like you know you've OU against a high school team, yeah. 
Kansas State against a or uh, Kansas against a high school team and losing that kind of stuff. This seems more like you're working into a season of games and you have a couple top top twenty five like yeah. uh, Miami Louisville. I think that Georgia Tech game is probably going to be pretty fun. They just got off a win against Florida State, so it'll be it'll be it'll be good to see some good football. How many how many shots of the camera do they show at that Miami game with Tate Martell sitting on the sidelines pouting because Derek King came in and took his job? <laughs> um, I'll go to like four. Yeah, the big, the big four. Well, four. four. Four is pretty solid. But yeah, Tatum's going to end up being like the first college football journeyman. Gosh, what a jackass! <laughs> I can't stand that guy. I, I just, I just can't do it. I can't do it. And then, all right, well, we have one more thing to talk about. That's not just the. I just thought in my brain, you know, things. How do you feel about the wide receiver situation, OU? I, I, I cannot shake the feeling. Charleston Rambo is not the guy, at all. What do you think? Like a like he's not the the guy that CD Lamb was. He's just not. He's not the go. He's not the number one wide receiver on a team that has an explosive offense. He may have. He has long strides. He's fast as hell. But I feel like Oklahoma, like Marvin Mims, is going to show you a lot more. And I think that when once. Theo Howard gets a little bit more healthy. He's going to show you a lot more than Charleston Rambo. Rambo seems like a guy that there's not a lot of wiggle to him. He doesn't have that much talent as far as changing direction, but, man, he has burners. And Oklahoma needs dudes that can change a direction, especially in this wide-open offense, and I, I just don't see him in a clutch situation. I don't see them throwing to Charleston Rambo. I see them throwing it to, like, Stogner or Theo Weese yeah. or – or Theo Howard, I don't see them looking effectively for Rambo. What do you think? And that'll be the last thing we talk about. I think I don't hate this group. I actually really like it. Um, we kind of talked about that before, um, whether we'd have concerns with this group or not. And I uh, kind of elaborated where, you know, this is a group that maybe doesn't have that X factor. They don't have a CD Lamb. They don't have a Marquise Brown. But they can basically do it by, you know, for lack of a better term, talent by committee. Um, they're more talented from, like, XYZ positions. Um, so you're going to have more opportunities to throw the ball around. Um, whereas, like, last year, you're like, okay, where's C.D. Lamb? Where's C.D. Lamb? Uh, we'll dump it off here, C.D. Right. Lamb, that kind of thing. It's just going to be, like, who's open. Um, so. And I'm curious to see OBOB all over versus Kansas State. Right. But I don't. Yeah, I agree. I don't. I don't think Rambo's going to be this terrific wide receiver. Right. He's going to be good, um, and you know he could be on. So like I, I could see him being in the conversation for some watch lists, um, just because if he's a, he's a name brand, he's like an Oklahoma wide receiver. I think Weiss is going to have a bigger breakout year than Charleston Rambo. I think Weiss is yeah. going to have the year that we I'd all thought that. Rambo is going to have. But I don't think there's that one guy that's like, okay, we need to cover number two. Well, there was, well, we to, but yeah. then he tore his ACL on Easter weekend, so. Yeah. <laughs> but, yeah, I, I like this receiver group, um, but I do agree that there's not that, that huge playmaker. But Marvin Mims, my goodness, when Lincoln Riley said they're not holding back on freshmen, the first, like, damn, however many touchdowns scored by OU were by freshmen. The majority of the touchdowns scored by on Missouri State were by Marvin Mims, who is clearly making a lot of plays, who had no hesitance in his game whatsoever, especially during punter returns. Marvin Mims just caught the ball, saw saw lanes, and went. Whereas Rambo, the dude catches it, stutter steps, and then he runs into his own player, and it's just it's not good. And then you saw what Seth McGowan brings to the table, and just like these freshmen, I don't know if it's because. Uh, the offensive line that Oklahoma's assembled along with the their quarterback, which was the number one quarterback in the nation, that it just makes it easier for them. But these freshmen seem like a different breed than the freshmen that we've seen, that we saw like two years ago. Does that feel okay to say? Yeah, I mean, we've, we've talked about it. It's just they've been better at recruiting every single year, and now you're starting to see the results of it get on the field. And then you bring in like a McGowan, like I was skeptical about your McGowan. Like you, you've been high on McGowan the entire time, and I was skeptical. Yeah. But damn, the one thing is like McGowan kind of got swept under the rug because he was being compared to uh, Jace McClellan, yeah. right? Yeah, yeah. So five star versus four star guy. Um, but McGowan, he's a cut and go back, plenty of speed. 
Um, I kind of was kind of surprised with his physicality a little bit. Um, I kind of thought he was more of a finesse guy, but um, yeah, I mean, he's a terrific runner, and he's a guy that OU really hasn't recruited in the past two cycles. Yeah, so it's just really interesting, but I'm really curious to see what they do against Kansas State. Yeah, really, really intrigued. And we'll, we'll probably have somebody on the podcast to visit with us. I think uh, uh, John Morrison, bring on the Cats. He always is a great interview, so we'll hit him up next week to give you guys a preview with that. Um, I guess we should take it out of here. Uh, Steve, you have anything else to say? Uh, I think I'm good. Uh, how about you tell the folks about the Discord? Because, hey, man, the post-game, post-game podcast, we got a lot of questions, a lot of Twitter questions, but also a lot of Discord questions. So if you guys haven't joined yeah. it, you guys should. So tell them about it. Yeah, so uh, we have a Discord for the – I mean, the podcast is in there, recruiting's in there. Uh, we have live game for, uh, threads, that kind of stuff. So um, it's absolutely free to join. We always put out some links on Twitter. Uh, but if you don't see one or if one is expired, go ahead and just give us a DM. We're, we'll be happy to send one to you. And it's really that simple. I mean, I've been getting DMs left and right if if, if the offers do expire. So, but anyways, I believe that wraps it up. So, guys, thanks for listening to the podcast. Really appreciate you guys. And we're so glad it's football season, even though right as soon as the first game, that's a pay-per-view against a bad team. We have a bye week. But, hey, it's better than no football at all. So, thanks for listening. Uh, you guys can find us on iTunes, Spotify, Stitcher, Google Podcasts, wherever you guys get one, wherever you listen to it. Will you just please give us a five-star rating? We'd really appreciate it. Also, just makes it makes it easier for us to find and makes it easier for everybody else to find. So thank you guys for listening, and we'll check you guys later.